0: When my nephew Blake was four years old, his father told him that all large bodies of water had sharks in them. Now my nephew Blake was an inquisitive young boy in the midst of potty training. So naturally his mind went to, well, where does the water that's in the toilet come from? It must come from large bodies of water that are infested by sharks. So he had significant worry every time he entered into the bathroom because when might a shark come out of the toilet and bite him? The next week at daycare, he felt the need to share that concern with all of the other children as well, to warn them of the potential of a shark coming out of the toilet to bite them. It caused quite a bit of chaos and Maria's mother was not happy as it abruptly stopped her potty training. She reverted back to pull-ups and they were on their way to Disney for a week. (laughs) So I wonder, have you ever had a worry like that? A worry that not only consumed your mind but then affected people around you? When I was growing up, I loved to watch the show Family Feud. I didn't know then the creepiness of Richard Dawson that I know now, so I was fully engaged with the families battling out to try to guess the answers with the 100 people surveyed. And I grew up the youngest of six children, and my family is very outspoken and boisterous, so we certainly assumed that we should be on the show. And we made a couple minimal attempts when I was a teenager, but it was my brother Greg who succeeded by getting his family on The Family Feud. In 2011, my brother Greg and his family were actually on the show. That's Greg there in the blue. And he is a senior pastor in Kissimmee, Florida. So Steve Harvey, the host of the show, had a really good time with that on and off the air. And they did a great job on the show. They made it all the way until the finals and they won a car. And if you watch the reruns, you might be able to see the Heinz family. It's very exciting. <laughs> So I thought as I moved toward this weekend and I was preparing that it would be important for me to not just have my own worries to bring to this time, but to hear about other people and what they worry about. So I surveyed not 100 people, but 5,000 people had the opportunity to weigh in on this idea of worry. I put this question out to my 5,000 Facebook friends. What two areas of life cause you to worry the most? By the way, do you know that Facebook caps you at 5,000 friends? You can't have any more than that. So I have 46 people who are in my friend queue waiting to be accepted by me. Tim Pearson, you're one of them. But I can't accept you, Tim, until somebody deletes me, which would be awful at the same time. So anyway... 180 people responded and gave two worries that consume them the most. And I have the top five answers on the board. But before I reveal them to you, I thought it would be fun if you could try to guess what they will be. So 5,000 people asked that question across the nation, of course, in the year 2017, which worries do you think are gonna come up on this board? I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to talk with somebody next to you and try to come up with at least two, maybe even three that you think will be on the board, okay? Go ahead. And those of you watching online, I know you're still in your pajamas, but you have to talk about this question as well. (laughs) Okay, wrap up that conversation. So five answers were given overwhelmingly. And the first with 122 was finances. The next, very close with 108, health. The third answer, a little bit lower on the scale, was kids and parenting with 75. And then interestingly, because many of you fall into what they're calling the sandwich generation, aging parents. So you've got kids on one side that you're parenting and aging parents that you're helping as well. So how many of you got at least one of these right? Keep your hand raised if you had two of them, three of them, four of them, overachievers, okay. I did tell you that there were five. Um, I'll be honest that the fifth one, there was only one vote, but I think it's significant, and it was Heather's hugs. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I consider myself to be a professional hugger, and I hug to love and to show my love, but I have harmed five people in the process of hugging. Only because they don't use the proper hugging technique that we teach in the junior high ministry, so I've asked Josh to come on up. Josh is one of my former students. I figured to dispel this worry <laughs> to dispel this worry, we'll go ahead and teach everyone the proper hug technique so that this cannot be a worry anymore. So Josh, hold on, we have to teach them. I know you know it so um, my arms go this way, yours go the opposite. My head goes this way, yours goes the opposite. Otherwise we kiss and that's a little awkward. And Joshi, remember, if you hug back, it hurts less, okay? <laughs> You're awesome, good to see you. <laughs> well, now that we've taken care of that, let's shift our gears to what people actually worry about in the year 2017. The spotlight 2017 from the news Apple editors produced a series of articles entitled Year in Anxiety. So they relayed the content of the last year that fed into our natural tendency to worry. So North Korea claiming to have a ballistic missile that could hit the United States, acknowledging that we no longer have safety in numbers with the mass violence that happened over the year, They even came up with a new word called eco-anxiety because of all of the lives that have been lost with hurricanes and wildfires. Researchers and psychologists came up with eco-anxiety because they see a direct connection to people's mental health and climate issues. And it's true that the word eco-anxiety is a new word, And what feeds into it is recent and relative to our year 2017. But the struggle of worry has been around for thousands of years because it's a human condition. And every one of us has dealt with it on varying levels, yes, but we have all dealt with it. And Jesus addressed this issue of worry in his Sermon on the Mount. It's actually documented in Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven. That's a long sermon. Mine's not going to be that long because we're gonna focus on Matthew chapter six, starting with verse 25. So listen to what Jesus said to the crowd that had gathered. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And you are not, aren't you much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now you might be thinking, Heather, Jesus, yes, is talking about worry, but he doesn't mention nuclear missiles or mass violence. That's true, but we need to understand the reality of those who would have been listening to Jesus. So here's some context. The crowd that Jesus was speaking to was filled with the poor. And when I say the poor, I mean people whose daily routine was getting what they needed just to get through the day. If they weren't able to find clean water or food, the lives of their family matters were literally at stake. Even if Costco had been around during that time, they did not have the luxury of buying in excess. So the question of what will I eat or what will I drink tomorrow was a very real question for them. And Jesus is challenging them to take their attention off of important things and move them to more important things. My guess is they were saying, what could be more important than what we eat or drink to continue to live? I think Jesus sensed that, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them." I love to imagine the scene here. Jesus was speaking to hundreds, more than likely thousands. And as was tradition during that time, the teacher would actually be sitting and all of those listening would be standing for the whole message. I thought it might be fun to try during the 11 o'clock, yeah? Bring a chair out, you guys stand. No? Okay. The point being (laughs) in the midst of that teaching, those people would have been standing in the flowers. They would have been standing next to and probably on top of those lilies. So imagine the visual illustration that Jesus was using. Now in the midst of all of the beauty, I think it's important to acknowledge attention Tension, at least that I feel, and my guess is you feel as well. When we look at overarching scripture, there is definitely a truth that we are to have full reliance on God. But another overarching truth that we find in the Bible is that we're supposed to be good stewards of our resources. Resources like intellect, common sense, emotions, talent, drive. And we're supposed to use those resources to glorify the Lord and to do good for other people. Well, that takes time. That takes planning. That takes effort. And yet we're not supposed to worry about what we eat or what we drink. That's tension. I think some of the tension is resolved when we think about the birds that Jesus is highlighting in his teaching. Do you know that I don't like birds? I don't. And sometimes I feel bad about not liking an aspect of God's creation, but come on, they're just annoying, aren't they? I mean, they chirp at all hours of the morning when I'm trying to sleep in and they have beady little eyes and they drop little white presents on my RAV4, ew. But Jesus apparently likes them enough to use them as an illustration. And the birds don't seem thrown off by this tension. They go throughout their day doing what they naturally do, So they fly, they collect food for their young, they build nests, but it's God who supplies what it is that they need. So one could say that the birds are concerned about their daily activities, but they do not worry about their daily activities. Concern is to give attention or interest or importance to something. And concern is a necessity in life, right? I mean, if you're a parent and you're not concerned about your children playing in traffic, you're a bad parent. If you're a young adult and you're maxing out your credit cards with no concern about paying them off, you are not adulting well. But concern is different than worry. Worry is concern at an emotional level. When you worry, you are troubled, you are uneasy. So I would say if concern is giving attention to something or someone, worry is giving too much attention to someone or something. But that's a tough line to define, isn't it? Matthew Henry, who is a biblical scholar, describes worry like this. A disquieting, tormenting thought, which hurries the mind hither and thither and hangs it in suspense which disturbs our joy in God and is a damp upon our hope in him, which breaks the sleep and hinders our enjoyment of ourselves, of our friends and of what God has given us. Worrying affects us. It affects us spiritually and it affects us physically. Physically, the problem occurs when our fight or flight is instigated on a daily basis because we worry. God has given us that instinct of fight or flight, but for crisis, not for daily use. But when we worry, that kicks in and our body's sympathetic nervous system releases stress hormones like cortisol. And these hormones raise blood sugar levels and triglycerides in order to give the body fuel for what it needs to take care of in the crisis. But when the crisis of worry is every day, we see the physical effects. And the experts say this is what we experience. I mean, look at some of these, difficulty swallowing, fast heartbeat, inability to concentrate, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, trembling and twitching. I would guess that none of us have experienced all of these things, but there are some here that are very familiar to you. I know that when I worry too much, I get headaches, I get muscle tension, I have nervous energy, even more energy than I normally have, which is just scary for those around me. It has physical effects. One of the effects not listed is the lack of sleep. Maybe fatigue speaks to it. But is there anyone else in the room who will wake up hours before the alarm goes off, and if you don't get back to sleep quick enough, your mind just starts spinning? It starts spinning of all of the things that you need to do that day and the emails that you need to write. I even write the emails in my head, which is not helpful because I have to type them out later anyway. And I think to myself, did I leave the garage door open? Why didn't she text me back? Is she offended by what I asked her? And it just goes on and on. And I know how much sleep I need to function, but I just can't shut it off. So the physical effects are significant, but I think the spiritual effects are even more troubling. When we choose to worry, when we place too much effort or time or focus on something or someone, we're basically saying to God, I don't trust you. The God that spoke this world into creation, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb on purpose and with purpose, the God that raised Jesus from the dead, You basically say to him, yeah, that's all great, but I really don't know if you can help me find the right college. I don't know if you can help me to have reliable transportation or to heal my broken heart, et cetera, et cetera. That lack of trust affects your relationship with God and it affects the way that you see him, the way you see yourself and the way that you see your future. So why is worrying such an easy default? (laughs) Why can't trust in God be the default? I think it's because when we are asked to trust God often, it's not, without, it's not with a lot of information. And we love information. And as you look back in the history of God's people, there's a pattern. And the pattern is God says, I want you to exercise faith in me first and then the understanding will come. So all the way back to when he asked Abram to leave his country and all that he knew and did not really define the destination, God has asked his people to take steps out in faith and let him take care of the concerns. I think of Noah who built an ark over a a significant period of time, having never seen a flood before. I think of David who stepped toe to toe with nine foot Goliath who nobody else would approach and without a promise of beating him said to him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I think about Peter who stepped out of the boat onto the stormy sea that he had only fished from. I think of Mary. When the angel showed up in her space and said, you are going to carry the son of God. She asked one question. And then she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. How do we have trust like these heroes of the faith? Especially when so much of the time we don't feel like heroes of the faith, right? Right? I mean, I think I would. I think if God audibly spoke to me and gave me direction or an angel just showed up in my room in the middle of the night, like, oh, I think I would do it. But then I say to myself, wait a second. When I said yes to Jesus, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit in me, God himself, guiding, directing, comforting, and living inside of me. I have the active, living, breathing word of God. Am I tapping into that? The word of God, especially, Because Jesus tells us, he says it comes down to what we focus on. Check this out. After he said, don't worry about these things, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we are supposed to, focus on the things that are eternal, not the things that are of this world. We're supposed to focus on the unseen versus the seen, on his kingdom and his righteousness. But practically speaking, how do we do that? I have some ideas. (laughs) First, I have to keep my focus in check. You have one focus, and I believe you have two places to put that focus, either vertically or horizontally. And if I am focusing vertically, I am in tune with the Lord. It means that I am asking him throughout my day to guide and direct me. I'm reading his word. I'm having conversations with other people about him. He and I are tight. I'm investing in this. If I'm investing in the horizontal, if my focus is here, it's on everything else. All of people's expectations of me, spoken and unspoken, all the stresses of life, all my to-do lists, all of the things that cause me worry, it's right here. And in my 44 years of living, this is what I have figured out. When I choose to invest in this, this just seems to take care of itself because my focus is where it needs to be. Jesus himself said it, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And I love that Jesus doesn't romanticize it. He says, you will have trouble. Worry will come your way. It will tempt you, but focus on me. If you have children or you are a pet owner, experts call it redirecting. (laughs) So if your child or your pet is fixating on something that is not helpful or that's harmful or just frankly annoying, you're supposed to redirect them to something else. So when you begin to fixate on your worry, when you give too much time and attention to something or someone, you need to quickly redirect yourself to your vertical focus. And I believe that it changes everything. Personally, for me, as I move from worry to trust, I need to determine the root of my worry. If you're a chronic worrier, there is a reason why. And I'd encourage you to ask the Lord, where does this come from? Where does this stem from? And then listen. He might give you direction within a conversation with a trusted friend or within his word or a quiet in your spirit. But I also encourage you to talk with somebody who understands the mind and the heart and emotions and behaviors. Unashamedly, I am a big fan of counseling and therapy. I just think there is such a great value on having somebody from the outside speak inside of your situation. I see someone personally, Chad and I see somebody as a married couple, and it's so helpful. I was just with my counselor last month and he asked me a question that I'd never been asked before that I had never asked myself. And when I answered it, it gave me clarity to something that I had been wrestling with for months. I I take my car in every 5,000 miles to get the oil changed. I take my teeth in every six months to get them cleaned is not my soul more important than my teeth? (laughs) Is not the condition of my relationship with God more important than my car? Wooddale has an awesome list of Christian counseling centers and counselors that we'd love to share with you if you're willing to do that. But I encourage you to do just that. But it's not enough just to identify it. We need to resist and replace that worry. For some of you who've been worrying a long time, it's taken a lot of space up in your brain. And when you choose to resist it, there's gonna be space that needs to be filled with good stuff, good content. And the best content comes from scripture. God encourages us to meditate on his word day and night and not to turn from it. So what I'd like to do is share with you three passages that I love to claim, especially when I start to worry. You've got some space in your sermon notes there. If you're watching online, just grab something and and write these down to look at them later. But this is powerful stuff. The first one comes from Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 through 24. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Redirecting. The next one is from Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the last one is from Psalm 139 verses one through six. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you Lord know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Sometimes I take these verses and I put them on cardstock and I stick them on my mirror, or I stick them to my dash, or I put them on my visor in places that I can see them so that that content is filling the space where worry would naturally come in. Friends, this is the truth. This is the understanding that God has given us in this moment. So imagine if we were to focus on that rather than everything else. Um, My quiet time with God is a challenge. I was crafted to be with people all the time. So my least favorite part of the day is showering because I have to do it by myself. In seven minutes, I'm in and out like that. My life mantra is everything is better with a friend. So for me to sit down in the quiet, in the still by myself with God has always been a challenge ever since I can remember. I do it because I know it's a discipline, but I have to be creative in what I do. So obviously I read scripture and I talk with friends and I'm in a Bible study, but I also try to find other books that challenge me. And a few years ago, I found a book called Devotional Classics. It's edited by Richard Foster and it's a compilation of writings from amazing authors, well-known authors like Dallas Willard and C.S. Lewis, but also a bunch of unknowns, at least to me, like Benedict of Nursia and Julian of Norwich. (laughs) And I came across a woman named Catherine, Catherine of Genoa, who lived in 1447 to 1510. But what she wrote has changed my approach to worry. This is what she said. I will not weary myself with seeking beyond what God wants me to know. Instead, I will abide in peace with the understanding that God has given me. And I will let this occupy my mind. If you wanna continue to shift from worry to trust, the last thing that you need to do is to choose to feed your spirit, not your flesh. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5. This is what he writes. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want on a daily basis, you have the choice. Do you wanna feed your flesh, your worry, your sinful nature, your natural tendency, or do you wanna fill and feed the spirit of God? I'm amazed when I talk to people who struggle with worry. I'm amazed at who and what they choose to listen to and to watch. I know it's important to stay current on the news and and, and to know what's happening in our culture, But do you really have to watch multiple news shows and follow multiple blogs and have five apps of news that you're checking the feed on a daily basis? Do you really need to hop onto WebMD every time you get a sniffle to figure out what awful disease you could have? What is it that you are feeding? I think it goes back to the difference between concern and worry. Concern is to pay attention, but worry is to pay too much attention. So for you, what is Too much attention. When I had graduated from Bethel College, I had a significant worry. And that worry is that I thought I had missed my one and only chance to find, secure, and marry a Christian man. And unfortunately, I did not feed that worry well, I fed it by reading romance novels. (laughs) I tried to justify it because I read Laveril Spencer and she's a local author. So I felt like I was investing in our local, no, it didn't work. (laughs) And not only did it feed my worry, it fed my bitterness and it affected my relationship with God. And in the quiet of my spirit, one night God made it clear to me that I needed to not read those and I literally needed to get them out of my life. And it was a battle of the flesh because my flesh wanted to keep them and keep reading them. And the spirit said, you cannot And I remember taking the garbage bag and taking all of those books off of my shelf and throwing them in the garbage bag, walking down the steps of my apartment, throwing them into the dumpster and going back up the stairs, stopping halfway thinking, wow, there was a lot of stuff in that dumpster. I could probably just reach in and grab those again. That's how much it had a hold on me. But I stopped reading them out of obedience to the Lord. And within a matter of hours, it shifted from worry to hope. And I believe that God was so good to me in that obedience. And my husband, Chad, is a direct result of that shift from worry to trust. And he is better than any man in those romance novels. (laughs) What are you feeding today? Because whatever you feed, that will win. Either the spirit, or the flesh. So do you remember the top five answers that were on the board? These are legitimate concerns. Anything that you would add as a worry of your own personally, it's a legitimate concern and they deserve our attention, but they do not deserve our worry. They do not deserve the space in our mind that we give them. God deserves that attention. He deserves that trust and that surrender. So as we move into 2018, will we intentionally refocus ourselves from the stressors and the worry of the horizontal to our vertical relationship, understanding that when we do that, God in his goodness will take care of all of these things. Father, I pray that that is our goal. If we all just had one New Year's resolution, imagine if it could be that and all of the good that can come out of it. So God, would you just speak to us individually and let us know what is it that we are paying too much attention to? And God, show us how we can redirect to connect with you. And all these things will be added. And we promise in advance, God, to give you the credit and the glory in Jesus' name, amen. If you would like someone to pray for you, a pastor will be up here at the front. If you're interested in that list of counseling, you can call um, after the new year, and we would love to get that to you. But for the most part, I'm just so excited that you're here today, and I'd love to ask you to stand and receive the benediction. So as you leave this room, and as you go into 2018, may you redirect your focus to the one who deserves it and the one who will not fail you. Amen.